Hello and welcome to the F2 show and an F2 show special, our 2021 season review. It's been another brilliant season of FIA Formula 2. Joining me to discuss it all, we have GP Grandstand's Jim Kimberley, broadcaster Harry Benjamin and sports car driver and broadcaster Alex Brundle. Okay, let's take a look at the final championship standings of the season then. Oscar Piastri is our 2021 champion after one of the finest rookie seasons we've seen in Formula 2. He obviously has his sights on his fourth championship in a row next year, uh, aiming to win the sitting on the couch championship. Good luck to him. And the team's standings. Kramer wrapped up the 2021 championship in Jeddah, so we already knew that they had won the team's standings. Uh, two podiums from Guan Yu Zhou and Felipe Drogovic each meant that you and I jumped above Carlin to P2 in the very last race of the season. So congratulations to them. Tech and ART rounded out the top five. All right, let's get straight into it then. Great to have you all with us, obviously. I want to come to you first, Alex, if that's all right. Um, you've had the pleasure of commentating on the majority of races this season. How much have you enjoyed being in the comms box and uh, how much have you enjoyed this season? Yeah, it's been really impressive this year of Formula 2, actually. The level of the series, the level of the drivers. Uh, it, it feels slightly sort of disparate because we've had those big breaks in the year. Um, but the action on track's just been unbelievable, hasn't it? When you know, I mean, I don't have any breath left at the end of a of a of a four. I know Harry's done a couple as well. We just you really just do not have any energy left, and you're drained when you finish the day. But it's it's drained in a positive way because it's been a great series to watch and uh, and truly enjoyable with 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 so much wheel to wheel action and uh, and a worthy winner at the end. I think to be honest. Yeah, it's been an epic season, isn't it? And Harry, we haven't had you on the show since Monza, uh, which seems like a lifetime ago now, isn't it? Alex, you've just said about the, the big breaks that we've had. Uh, obviously, commentating this season was obviously a highlight, but what was the standout moment for you? It, well, in Formula 2 action, uh, well, certainly commentating on it, Silverstone was uh, scary as, uh, but thoroughly enjoyable. But I, I was thinking about this because you, you did warn me, you'd asked me about a highlight at the moment so I've been watching I've been watching the highlights just to remind myself because it has been so long like Bahrain I couldn't remember like exactly what happened so long ago and of course that I had to say having sort of seen all the highlights I want to go back to Bahrain and that sort of final fight between all the Alpine Academy drivers Joe Lungard Piastri an epic sort of last couple of laps Oscar Piastri came on the radio I wrote it down I did my prep you see he said if you don't love F2 right. I think you do now. And I just thought, you know what? That, that, that no one could say any better. It was a perfect way. The final shootout on the last lap for the lead. Piastri wins out, says it perfectly, sets up for a, a brilliant Formula 2 season, which remains my highlight. Yeah, what a battle that was. And little did Oscar Piastri know at that point what a season mm. he was going to go on to have. And we've, uh, sorry, Jim, before we, we come and introduce you, we've actually had a question from at Peak Performance on Twitter. Um, Alex, we'll come to you first, that's all right. So asked, what's the most difficult part of commentating on Formula 2? I think that in, in jumping in and out of the commentary box is probably, for me, the most difficult bit. Obviously, I'm doing my own, my own racing as well here and there. 
And, you know, you really have to catch up with the series because everything moves so fast um, at that level of racing. By the time I, you know, let's say I take Le Mans out, I miss Baku or I miss a couple of races in a row. Three of the drivers have changed. They've, you know, two of them have had a disagreement and now the championship lead is different. And I'm back in the com box, you know, looking blankly at Alex Jakes through a a screen very much like this because we do it on 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 a live link. And, and I, I have to really get in and, and do my prep work to make sure I do the, the series justice, you know? And, and it's as much about doing the competitors justice as the viewer justice, I really believe at, at this level, because they deserve to be properly and knowledgeably covered in order to, because essentially all the team bosses, all the people that might hire them in the, the future of their career are watching the feed just like the audience are and what, you know, they don't always have the time to go through all of the stat packs and work out which driver they want to hire. They rely on us. So that's really tough. Keeping up with it, mate, honestly, keeping up with it uh, is is it just the action on track is something which is, uh, yeah, uh, a tough ask as well. Well, you've definitely done it just if I may say. And Harry, obviously you jumped into the to the comms box for the first time this season. What what were you most worried about when you jumped into the box? everything uh, <laughs> i mean well as, as alex says you know all those and, that, and that's you know alex done the majority of races and as someone who's watched a lot of formula 2 a lot of gp2 it, it, it's very daunting when you're suddenly thrown in i was not expecting that i got called on friday afternoon so practice and qualifying had already happened and as alex was alluding to you know he's jumping in and out of the commentary box I was prepared for for a weekend out with my mates. Good Lord, a weekend off. It was amazing. And then suddenly... To the bar to watch some Formula 2. exactly. (laughs) And And then suddenly you're like... Right. Okay. You get the call. And of course, you know, you, you've got to say yes and you fill in and you've got to try and squeeze as much prep as you can. In my case for Formula 2, I was the co-commentator. So that kind of took a little bit of the pressure off, but it's still, I, mean, I did it alongside the brilliant Rosanna Tennant, of course. Again, it was her first time doing lead commentary on Formula 2, you know, so to chuck us both in there, it was always going to be a bit of the blind leading the blind. I think after the first race, we kind of got our bearings together and managed to, to get up to speed with it but it's not just getting up to speed with following how a race unfolds it's also making sure you know you know what's happened in the build-up you know what the implications are of that overtake or why he's down there why is that pit stop happening what's the format of this entire series it changed from last year you know all these little tidbits that a lot of people I think take for granted but you've got to really know your stuff firstly yourself which I know is a, a spoken about time and time again but it's true you know you've got to do your homework being a commentator is like basically constantly revising for your A-levels or GCSEs. That's how I felt like anyway, just constantly, in fact, doing more revision than I ever did, but constantly watching things, writing down notes, a stat that you think you might need, but you, ne- you might not ever say it. I, I, it might have even been Alex Jakes who said, you know, I'll do 100, 110% preparation work or whatever, but I'll probably only use 10% of it. But just in case... Just in case there's a red flag, there's a safety cut, or it's not a particularly interesting race where you've got to fill, that's when you use the rest of it, which is something I learned. (laughs) 
Well, mate, if it was your A-levels, I think you passed. Uh, uh, just very about. Well. So, yeah. <laughs> Jim, you've, uh, you, Jim, you've waited patiently. Thank you very much. We're going to go from, obviously, the commentary box to the sofa. You've been our armchair expert this season. We've spoken to you a lot about the action, obviously, throughout the season. Uh, but I haven't had a couple of weeks to di- digest it all. Uh, where does this season sit compared to other seasons, uh, Formula 2 seasons? couple of weeks to digest. It's been like a couple of months to digest after each race. It felt like this season, so it's, uh, it's barely digested. Um, it's been a good season. Piastri's run away with it. And it's weird to think, actually, as I was looking through uh, how the season unfolded, that Joe was, in fact, the championship leader and looking pretty strong for the first half of the season. And Piastri's obviously ran away with it. And I feel that's almost taken a bit, as well as the big gaps, it's taken a little bit of the excitement out because there wasn't that fight for the championship at the end it was just a matter of when is Piastri going to take it but in terms of the actual on-track racing it's as good as as any other season the format just didn't work it's good that they took the risk but the format just simply didn't work and that might always make it look like a negative season that two reverse grid races it it didn't influence the championship, I, didn't, I don't think, but it's been a really competitive field this year. Um, worthy winner, but any one of the top five, six performers uh, in the championship could have been a worthy champion because it has been a really good competitive field. Yeah, let's talk about Oscar Piastri then. Obviously, I think it's fair to say it's been a pretty dominant season. How, how impressed have you uh, been with him, Alex? I think it is, it is impressive. Um, especially given the difficulties associated to the format. Um, and, and that you know, each weekend there was that moment of jeopardy in race one where, you know, he would have to start from 10th. There was a potential to be wiped out of the race. There was a potential to have an incident, as we actually saw and after he'd won the championship in Abu Dhabi. It, I think it's been a very, very impressive season. What, what really impresses me about it are, the, the, are two things. The dominance in qualifying is one when you have less qualifying sessions through the year. And the reason is from having been in the cockpit in feeder series, I know how turbulent those qualifying sessions are. Uh, and I know how difficult it is. You know, when you, when you first meet your engineer for, for a year of feeder series racing, they say to you, look, change your perspective on where you're aiming to qualify here because anywhere in in or around the top 10, if you can conti- continuously qualify there, is a good effort and will keep you in the game. Well, to, to whitewash qualifying from mid-season onwards is outrageous from, 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 a, from a driver's perspective, having been in those cars uh, and, and been in what is a pretty dominant framer, but he had a teammate, you know. Um, the, the second point was the, is the discipline that he showed uh, throughout the year. And it's so easy to have one critical slip. We saw, for example, in the final couple of races of the year, a critical slip from Callum Eilat, uh last year uh, down the inside of, I think it was uh, Felipe Drogovic. It might have been Jahan Ruvler actually. Uh, turn 10 in Bahrain. Just a little slip like that. You know, he never got desperate. He never put the big move on the table and made a big error. And that was really impressive to watch him just convert and convert and convert over and over again. For you, where does he rank? We talk about, you know, Charles Leclerc, George Russell, two people who have also won Formula 3, Formula 2, back-to-back. Where does he rank compared to those guys and compared to other Formula 2 champions? 
Yeah, so seven wins, 11 podiums, uh, a difficult season. Uh, I think George and Charles, uh, sorry, George and Charles have seven wins apiece. Oscar has six uh, with, a, with an e- equal number of podiums, but he was contending with a difficult format. I mean, anybody who comes into this level of motorsport, and, and I would consider it doing Hamilton, because he's, for me, the, the, the guy who came in, dominated, or didn't dominate, but was able to win uh, in feeder series in his first year and then moved through to Formula One, is going to do something pretty special in Formula One if they get the opportunity to do so. Um, I think that he was against an incredibly competitive field. When you look at Teo Pulcher, you know, a talent like Teo Pulcher finishing up fifth in the year, you know, arguing but many, many points ahead of a driver like Robert Schwartzman, who has taken his talent all the way through uh, FIDE Series as well in the same car. It, he's He's been incredibly impressive, but only time will really tell whether that talent converts into a Formula One car, which is a uh, for me, having analysed it all year, uh, a hilariously different challenge when you think about the run-in through feeder series. It's, it's such a different type of car. Harry, for, for you as well, where does he rank and, and just how good is he? Well, I mean, I echo a lot of what Alex has said there, you know, and, and as uh, as Jim alluded to, everyone said it, you know, to come in as a rookie off the back of Formula 3 and before that, you know, the Formula Renault Euro Cup, he's a, he's a man on a mission, man on a charge. And again, uh, there's such a such a, a delightfully impressive uh, competitive field as well, because sometimes, you know, that's not always the case in Formula 2, which is nice. And, you know, that top 10, it has been quite hotly contested with some, you know, standouts coming through, you know, in the early, earlier part of the season, the people like Richard Vashore or Ralph Boschong suddenly showing quite a lot of good pace and, and actually being able to repeat that time and time again. So it just shows that, you know, as well as the usual suspects, well, now, well, hang on, who are these guys? Where have they come from? And suddenly they're up there as well fighting. So he, he's really had to to go up against that and as well as we've said uh, the format so that just underlines it in what has been a, a difficult season in terms of the gaps as well because we've seen how that can take a toll on a driver not having that consistency but I suppose what has I suppose impressed me the most just looking at the stats as a whole and, and watching the season unfold is Piastri's just been that little bit extra consistent in terms of if he's not right at the top if he's not in those podium positions he's still more often than not bagging good points whereas compare that to joe which i think is ultimately where he came undone you know he just had a few more retirements a few more non-scores than piastri whereas you know in, in that first race piastri in bahrain wasn't really you know he was fifth, I think, or, or around the top five mark for the majority of that race, not really hunting down for it, but quit, you know, and that's, that's maybe him on an, on an off day or it's not going well for him, you know, but he's still there bagging big points. And that's, I think the key for, for him in, in this championship. And that's where I think sort of his talent shows through, he can take the win, he can prove his dominance. And if it's not quite his day, he can still bag some big points. 
consistency is the key as is so often in feeder racing right uh, and jim obviously i've actually just been watching a video of uh oscar piastri uh is on the formula two social media channels and he was saying his, his pre-season prediction was to get a win this season uh, <laughs> how uh, i know how uh how, how do you think uh you know compared to his expectations at the beginning of the season obviously he surpassed his own expectations but has he surpassed everyone else's expectations as well well, undoubtedly. Um, I, with racing drivers and sports people in general, I do always wonder, did he actually go to the season thinking, I'm better than these guys? Because if you don't, what's the point of showing up, right? So he probably matched what he wanted to do, but was at the same time very delighted to do it, uh, especially with the teammate he had. I thought Schwartzman would have the better of him. And I think Bahrain demonstrated early doors to Prima that, oh, we've got two, two rock stars here. Yeah, I think he surpassed everybody else's expectations. Everybody knew he'd be quick. And I think we'll have the same sort of thing next year when Hauger steps up to think this guy's going to do well, but to do as well as he did and to be as extremely far ahead as he was against some of the, he called season, but uh, the ones that weren't in their rookie season, like Schwartz and like Joe, like Tictum, tremendous it really was a tremendous effort and i don't think anybody can ever see how well he's done and how much of a disappointment a disappointment it is to us feeder series fans that he's not the one making the step up and i say that you know as a bit of a fan of joe but the champion should be the one like we said with nick de i think we said on the last podcast that the champion should should be the one who has the opportunity i just kind of hope and maybe alex knows something about this that having weber fighting his corner who will be at the paddock that he's not going to fade into the memory of people when I think hopefully having Weber there we'll see him in Formula 1 sooner than later It's something which is so situational you know and and you're talking about a ladder uh, up to a certain level but then there are there are only so many spaces you know so it's mm. uh, you talk about the, the road to Formula 1 but the road to Formula 1 uh, doesn't necessarily have a a fixed destination <laughs> you know what i mean it, it's a it's a case of it's a case of uh, you know you you take the road to formula one and if there aren't any parking space at the truck stop you know you turn around and go home again and, uh, and that's and that's the that's the rea- that's the reality um in this instance i think piastri will have critical mass um to to eventually get himself in a formula one car i'm, I'm not sure that's uh, as much as I think, you know, Mark is an unbelievable person to have in your corner and, uh, and is a, as much of a mentor for him, I, I think, as, as a manager, really. Um, right. You know, he's a, he's a top, top dude in terms of mindset and in terms of his approach to racing and training and, and things like that. But um, I, I honestly be, believe that Oscar will reach critical mass based on what he's achieved on track this year. Uh, and what he'll no doubt continue to achieve in in you know with with Alpine and in, in doing their various simulator work and, and applying himself to that. Um, I I think Guan Yu Zhou has shown enough to get an opportunity. My desire to see to see Piastri succeed is 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 not to the detriment of Guan Yu Zhou. Mm. I think he's he think he's done enough to to just as I actually really felt Calamilo had had done enough um to to have a run in a formula one car in, in race conditions um but you know if sport was a carousel of you know if motorsport was a carousel 
from you know a set piece of results would generate a Formula One seat, and then another set piece of results would generate uh, a Formula One World Championship, then it wouldn't be very interesting to watch, would it? It wouldn't be very interesting to talk about, and we'd all have to go and find new jobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Someone did message me after uh, Piastri won and said, why, why doesn't the winner of F2 automatically get a promotion to Formula One? And why doesn't the lowest... Um, I suppose uh, uh, the lowest full-time driver in Formula One in the standings, then have to go back to Formula Two, you know, like football, you know, you get relegated if you're not good enough. Uh, and you know what I said? That's a really good point. I don't really know the answer. I just think it just doesn't sound like it would work. I don't like, uh, it sounds great on paper, but I feel like there's a, there's a lot of, that's a logistical nightmare. In could, an you ideal... imagine, could you imagine Kimi Raikkonen finishing bottom and then get relegated with <laughs> yeah, people yeah, half his age? This wouldn't work, wouldn't it? But I also love the idea of maybe on the top F2 team suddenly goes up to F1 and there's just a constant team that's either up there or either down there with their two drivers. Wouldn't that be fun, you know, and give more opportunity and give us more to talk about? But, you know, it's it's a money and a logistical thing, isn't it, at the end of the day? It doesn't quite, Formula One motorsport doesn't quite work the same as, as other uh, mainstream sports. You know, Haas would be Haas would be gutted. They've just uh, spent their whole season prioritising next season. They get relegated to come again down to Formula Two. So. <laughs> but they dominate. But they you'd dominate. Hope. But you'd, they hope. Dominate. you'd hope. Yeah, <laughs> Fernando had somewhere to put his GP two engine. Alex, we've uh, obviously just been speaking about Guan Yu Zhou. Um, how much will not win in the championship this season? You know, as a as a driver from a driver's perspective, how much will not win in the championships this season play on his mind going into Formula One? Will he feel the need to kind of prove that he deserves to be? Obviously, we all think that he should. He does deserve to be in Formula One, but will he feel like he he needs to prove that he deserves to be in Formula One? And could that lead to him trying a bit too hard, making a few mistakes? What what will his mentality be? I think he, he needs the insulation around him to prevent that happening. And, and uh, it's obviously a, a massive change for the drivers when they, you know, I, I haven't experienced it, but I know a lot of uh, close, closer mates who've moved, you know, up into that level of sport uh, and into the level of our, our sport. And the, the scrutiny is unbelievable. I think that he needs enough insulation around him so he doesn't feel like he needs to prove anything. And, you know, if I was him, I would be trying to completely bury my head into the new challenge. Uh, Guan Yu has got to sit there believing that Oscar Piastri had a better racing car than him this year. That's the way that I would try to organise it in my mind. Um, and somebody who is, um, you know, a, a racer in the mind won't, won't even won't even question that concept. You know, there, there's nobody that would have beaten me in the same machinery, period. And so um, he will be putting his head into, into the new challenge, will be, you know, working. And, and for, Formula One, you know, it's just such an all-consuming challenge for the drivers that he should have enough going on to actually be able to just go, right, Formula Two's happened. I've got to hear. It's sort of a bit like, you know, when you first, when you get, when you apply for your second job, you know, all that matters is what you did in your first job, isn't it? Your A-levels don't matter anymore. Your university degree doesn't matter anymore. Whoosh, gone. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that, isn't it? It's that right now I'm here and I need to move forward. 
Really interesting. Um, at Bentall One on Instagram asked, who deserves a Formula seat, uh, Formula One seat more based on the last three seasons, Harry? Would it be Joe with the experience, with the uh, older, wiser head, or would it be Piastri uh, with back-to-back uh, titles? Obviously, they both deserve a seat if we could give them a seat. But, uh, yeah. Why do I have to answer that first? Uh, <laughs> I put that on your list, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's such a hard question. Who deserves it more? You know, argue, you know arguably, the, I think the big thing on, on Joe's back, you know, midway through his F2 crew was getting that first, you know, feature race win, wasn't it? He'd, he'd done the sprint race, but he hadn't quite been able to get a feature race win. And, and once he sort of got that kind of marker off his back, he, he sort of flourished a little bit. But I, I don't, I honestly don't think I can answer that question. Who deserves it more? Piastri on... It is a it it is a travesty that a talent like Oscar Piastri doesn't get a go in a Formula One race seat this year. That I think I think that shows that there is there is generally a sort of there, there, well there's a stopgap, isn't there? Once you get to the top of the feeder series ladder, where you know F1 is is there, but you know as Alex said earlier, you know all all the parking spaces are taken by some drivers who are, you know, have either just joined or perhaps have been there for years. And, you know, these young guns are thinking, well, come on, when, when's my turn? When can I have a go? Surely I deserve my time. You've had your time, move on. But, you know, life's not fair. Formula One certainly isn't fair. That's not how motorsport works. And in which case, Piastri, I think, might benefit more by having, you know, a bit of time on the sidelines. He's getting a hell of a lot of track time in, you know, the older um, uh, Alpine, Renault, Lotus cars, um which i think some other drivers who are test and reserve drivers would be absolutely screaming to have as well you know the amount of times i think i've seen joe and piastri run around uh bahrain and and uh barcelona in those cars getting testing time is is brilliant you don't see that so often these days you know in terms of test drivers but you know i'm trying to divert away from answering your question uh because i don't have an answer i think piastri should be in formula one i think he's done enough to deserve that chance i just hope it comes about next season but I, I I also struggle, you know, you know, where, where's he going to go in Alpine? It's on it's on Alonso to leave, and Ocon's on a on a long term deal, looking looking fairly racy as well. So unless he has a complete shocker, I just can't can't see a, an obvious gap opening. So Piastri does deserve to be in Formula One, as does Joe. Then that's where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> the longest done answer I've ever heard. Huh? Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> If uh, I've been saying uh, this is my early 2022 prediction, if El Plan doesn't work out, then yeah. I think Alonso will go mid-season, and uh, we may see Oscar Piastri in a Formula One car Big next year. I don't know. I don't know. We we'll wait and see, won't we? Uh, let's move it on then. Um, so yeah, some, some some departing drivers from Formula Two. Uh, obviously, some winners as well who are going. So Robert Schwartzman, Dan Tictum. What would their mark be? What would them? What would they leave uh, Formula Two on, Jim? Um, Dan Tickton's going to leave uh, some Raikkonen-esque team radio. That's sort of, it's, it is what he's going to be known for. Uh, I think he kind of shook that Dan Tantrum tag a little bit this year. He really showed quite a lot of quality. And let's be honest, I don't think any other team were going to win the championship this year, any other driver not in a Prima. Um, but he made a, made a really good go of it, didn't he? Uh, joining Carlin, thoroughly outperformed his teammate. Um, and I do wish him well uh, I know I, I joked a little bit about Formula E but I think that could be a really good move for him um, 
So is Mark on the, Mark on the championship or Mark on Formula 2 is to have a really good driver who had some great attacking drives, particularly uh, a back who I remember this year. He was outstanding, just absolutely flying past people uh, on that long straight and what's essentially the same machinery. Um, yeah, really, really tremendous stuff. And was it Schwartzman you said as well? Schwartzman as well, yeah. yeah. Mr. Schwartzman. The guy who never never quite got there right at the end, right? He's, uh, he always looked like he could and then had, he's had two pretty good teammates to um, yeah, take it away from him, sadly. I think Schwartzman, he seems like he's just such a nice guy as well. And for all the stuff they had to go through, in particular last year with his father and still being able to be so resilient, it's just absolutely heartbreaking to see. But his dad was so proud of him for how well he's performed. And he's really stepped up the second half or the third, the last three quarters of this season because he started it so poorly, had messy mistakes, and then... I think he lost his front wing in Bahrain and again in Monaco. And for him to finish second and take Joe uh, as we get into the closing stages was really good. I think Ferrari will be a fan of him. I would be. Um, I don't. I don't think he's going to make Formula One at this point. But I think he's given Formula Two some really good racing this this year and last year. So yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame he's not getting another third season. Um, I when we saw Drogovic getting uh, another. Another bite of the apple next year. I thought, oh, maybe maybe Robert would as well, but that's not likely now, which is a shame. But I don't know where he'd go from here. He's got um, world world class sports car driver written all over it. Mm. You say a Ferrari hypercar? That's on the works, isn't it? Yeah. You know, never know. Mm. Right temperament, enough speed, doesn't make errors, plays the percentages. Uh, I think that that for me, you know, there are there are a lot of drivers. In his and understandably in, in his situation, um, for example, Callum last year was one of them who, you know, wanted to stay in a single seater, like like the idea of IndyCar, and that's an option they they take it. But I really think with the connection with Ferrari, uh, Robert does have you know does have a future in it in a sports car, and he's the right kind of guy to make a make a go of it if he fancies it. I wonder if he already knows something because he seemed pretty at peace um, at the finale. And it, it just never came across, you know, when Giovinazzi had the exit, it was, a, you know, having a little bit of a tantrum, a social media tantrum. I just never got that from Schwarzman. That could be that temperament that you're talking about, Alex, that he might know something from Ferrari and that's why they're keeping me around because yeah, he, got the, he got the hypercar, got so many GT possibilities. And yeah, I, he's a really good driver, but it might just not be Formula One's going to be his ultimate destination, but he could be a champion of something else in the next 10 years easily. Yeah, absolutely. He'll still be involved in the Ferrari setup, as you say. And uh, with Dan Tickton, we're definitely going to miss his radio messages next season. Uh, Jim, sticking with you, uh, at Callum, how, how do you go? I think that's pronounced. I'm sorry if that's wrong. Uh, on Instagram, ask, who's the most improved driver from 2020 Oof. to 2021, excluding the rookies? So for people that stepped up from Formula 3 to Formula 2, not necessarily. More people that have stayed in Formula 2. Um, difficult question. Uh, Ticton probably. Uh, I don't want to continue to focus on on, on Ticton after the last question, but I think there was just a lot more maturity from him this year. He, he just seemed like more of a more at peace with himself, and I've heard that the, his, his team love him, irrespective of his uh, sharp sharp uh, tongue in the helmet. But I think this year again, almost having as a, a little postscript to the last question, he's just really come into his own. I think a lot more people have 
respect him or given more respect than he maybe would have had before when the negative press was more what he was known for and that could lend itself to why he's got um, a seat next year racing electric so yeah i'll stick i'll stick with tictum i think he's uh i think he's solid and have to drop in a little ralph grabbing a grabbing a podium terrific uh, i don't know if we could really include it from season on season um after what just been a bit of a cameo last year but in terms of a career, yeah, he's really stepped up and putting the campus onto the podium twice is a terrific, terrific accomplishment that I'm so proud of my boy for doing. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, if you uh, if you didn't know, Jim is uh, a big fan of Ralph Bosch. Who isn't? <laughs> That's the drivers then. Uh, Formula 2 had a new format for this season. Three races across eight weekends. Looking back on it, maybe didn't work like we quite expected it to. Uh, but the reasons behind it, obviously, in terms of costs, were, were, were definitely, you know, it was the right thing to do, wasn't it, to give it a try, Alex? I think... It was an interesting. It was an interesting twelve. I mean, it was it was part of a big cost saving drive, which included regulation stability, uh, a reduction of the engine lease cost, and then this sort of reduction in the number of events um, for teams running the two series, Formula Two and Formula Three, which a lot of them do. I'm not sure how much they really saved, uh, to be honest, because you've got a then take your trucks. So what costs money in motorsport? Uh, engine leases, freight people, really, and entry fees. But hey, you know, <laughs> above my pay grade. So, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, so, so actually, when you look at the freight, that actually sort of increased a little bit. The engine lease was reduced. and But then, the you know, the people had less events to do. Okay, fair enough. Um I, I think we generated some good racing, firstly, but I think Formula 2 always did that, uh, realistically. Um, I liked having the, the feature race before the Grand Prix. I thought that mm. did. I thought that offered the drivers something. And, and if we do two races again over a weekend, I'd love to see them flipped. I'm not sure we will see it, but I'd love to see them flipped. So we have, you know, a little mini Grand Prix before the Grand Prix on Sunday, like that. But the gaps in the season, I think generated errors that shouldn't really have happened. I think it borders on a, a little bit of a unsafe time period to ask drivers to, to, to race flat out mid season in the championship, you know, without any testing and so on and so forth. And teams and drivers benefit from seeing a lot of venues, you know, Oh, on the average, over several venues, we then get a more, a, a better picture of what these young drivers mm. can do, uh, which I think was a little bit missing this year, to be honest. Harry, are you happy that we're reverting back to the to the uh, the old new format for for next season uh, and uh, yeah, the new old? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, do, do you do you think it will bring the best out of drivers? Yeah, 100%. I think everybody, you know, wanted to to go back to that old format, you know, races, team bosses and broadcasters alike were all pretty keen to do that. And, you know, from, you know, Formula 2 and Formula 3, they, they tried to change. We got through it, realised it's probably better to go back to the old one. And as, you know, as Alex says, not with those huge gaps, which are just way too long, you know, way too long. Uh, particularly, you know, what 
sit well not that racing drivers sit around twiddling their thumbs but it was the equivalent to that sometimes you know and then you you're, you're rusty and you're out of action uh, well yeah maybe they do sit around twiddle their thumbs uh but you know i imagine you're always always in the gym or at the simulator come on um <laughs> but you know such a long period of time when you're not able to either race another category or you, you know you can't test is it's going to lead to to well plain old rustiness one thing it did offer the chance to see was you know i think was it one or two drivers chance it in both formula three and formula two i think it was matteo nanini tried that um and and that's i mean that's if you've got the money to do that then great it's a it's a tough it's a tough i think campaign to run you know two different cars you know how, how is that development going to work because you know I'm, I'm not quite so sure if that really worked out for him or not I think it's from a from a racing driver point of view as an outsider I would suggest maybe it's probably better to focus on one campaign and really put your heart and soul into that and then you know work on developing yourself and moving up which I think this new calendar will do there are still a couple of gaps I think towards the end of the season where they may be slightly longer than you know you'd hope for but you know, we're not in that room where they make those decisions. It's based around, obviously, the Formula One calendar and, and you know, how that's going to work with freight and shipping and, and you know, costs. So I think all in all, it's um, next year will be uh, much improved. I think all the, all the drivers on that grid will be uh, very happy to see that. 100%. You just mentioned the, the two-month gap at the end of the season in between Sochi and Abu Dhabi. Could we have gone to Kota, for example? Could we have replaced a European race with Kota uh, to, to break up the season a little bit? One-month gap, one-month gap? Yeah, I think it's a it's always a question of cost and it's a question of getting everything in. Uh, you've got W Series to fit on the calendar and fit on the bill as well. Um, Let's not forget Porsche Super Cup. Porsche Super Cup is is a really big part of of what happens at a Grand Prix weekend because it's actually a really lucrative slot, which is why they get the top line commentators that are available to do. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't didn't book you for that one, Alex. They didn't. Uh, Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. You know, the the B team are in the rest of the weekend and then Ben turns up. Um, (laughs) But the, the... that's uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's an extremely lucrative slot though for for you know and really helps to 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 fund the venues and Porsche get a lot out of it. So I think that uh, yeah, we could have done. It's all, all a case of how these things pan out. I, I also liked the opportunity for Formula Three drivers to get the chance. You know, Formula Three's happened in Europe exclusively, and I, and I really do think that. A big part of moving to Formula One. I mean, look at somebody like Yuki Sonoda this year, where he arrives to every single circuit fresh. You know, a big part of going to Formula One is you're now in Singapore and then give us data. All right, you're now at, you know, whatever Valencia Street Circuit when we used to have it, Jeddah, you know, learn it in three laps and then give us data. And it's cool to see who can do that. And it's important that drivers get a chance to do that rather than, you know, Round five will be at Barcelona. Round six will be at Spa. You know, it's uh, it's a bit more of a challenge for the for the kids. You know, yeah, definitely. That's been a benefit of of the calendar, isn't it, and the format. So, okay, let's have a few quick fire questions for our panel. Then, Alex, we'll come to you first. If that's all right, then to you, Harry, and we'll finish off with you, Jim. If that's okay. So, question number one: Who surprised you this season, Alex? Uh, who surprised? 
who surprised me? Oh, never, never surprised. He surprised me. Ralph Boshong surprised me by <laughs> turning by turning up at the front of the field. Jack Doohan surprised me. Um, oh yeah, with mm. with his uh, cameo at the end of the year. How rapid's he been, man? Really good, Harry. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I. Ralph Boschong, I'd say Richard Vashaw at times showed some great pace as well. Um, Shame couldn't quite finish the camp. Well, he, I think he missed the camp and then ended with Cherus, didn't he? he came back, but um, yeah, but, but Boschong as well, doing all the same people, you know. So you know, to get second in uh, qualify second in his uh, second ever qualifying, mental, absolutely mental. He's going to be a good one next year. He really is, uh, Jim. I don't know if it's a surprise, but Porsche being as good as he was as well for the age that he is. Um, not surprised is maybe the wrong word, but I'm surprised he was as high uh, as he was at the end of the season with his age. So, yeah, uh, one, to, one to watch for the future, as we all knew, but really solidified that this year. Yeah, can I give a shout out to, to Ben Viscow as well, by the way. He scored mm. a majority of uh, his team's points this season. And uh, yeah, definitely hope to see him back on the grid because I thought he had a really good season. Uh, second question, who fell slightly short of what you were expecting this season, Alex? I mean, the level's so high. It's, 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 a, it's a tough question. Uh, I think, well, the, re- the results speak for themselves. Um, a, a guy that I really felt was unlucky this year, and I felt for him all year, was Marcus Armstrong. Oh, because God, he just yeah. kept on getting issues, wiped out of races, etc. And, you know, I think he's tied, on, he's tied on DNFs with a couple of other backmarkers for you know, uh, for the for the most DNFs of the year. I, I really felt for him and he, he deserved better. He did get a win, didn't he? Um in 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 Jeddah. Yeah. Um but I I felt for him for the whole year. Um just because it, it just wasn't going right for him with, with clear speed and ability behind the wheel. Harry I mean, yeah, in terms of feeling sorry for, of course, Armstrong, Christian Lungard as well. I think you've mm. got to stick on that list. I think uh, in terms of, I think, who fell a bit short, and I hate saying that because, you know, the, comp- the competitors in the field are so good. These drivers are racing out, flat out every single time. But I think Jehan Deruvla will will be a, a tad disappointed with, with how his season has panned out, you know, considering he, he, was, he was paired against uh, Yuki Tsunoda last year, who, of course, made the jump to Formula One. Dan Tickton this year has beaten him. I I, I believe that Daruvla was certainly unlucky and, and not always perhaps favoured in the stewards' room either. But all in all, especially when you're at the mercies of Dr. Helmut Marco, I, I don't <laughs> think that's the season he needed uh, this this year. Saying that, you know, still to get multiple wins and podiums is no mean feat. But at the end of the day, it, it, it's look at the you've got to look at the level you've got to raise your game to so i don't think uh Deruvla would be my my answer to that and there's a lot of red bull drivers there as well eager to be the one to step up he's it's got a lot of good competition mm. well, actually yeah. arguably i think lawson might finish in front of him had lawson not had the absolute luck of nothing in the last half <laughs> of the season his car conking out more times than i can say anything so yeah. Uh, so yeah he was lucky i think to finish ahead of lawson at the end of the day Mm, be good to see Daruvula in a pro minute season if that happens. So let's wait mm-hmm. and see. Uh, Jim? Um, probably Felipe Drogovic this year. Uh, I, I echo the sentiments of all the other answers that everybody's putting everything on the floor. And I know Drogovic, he was, he was good last year. Um, and I think he'd hoped a little bit more this year for where he ultimately finished, especially compared to against Joe in Sister Car. But he, Got a couple of, was it, I'm just looking now, four podiums, zero wins though. And I think 
in the car that he had this year compared to the MP that he had the year before, he probably would have thought he'd step on the top step a couple of times, probably. Um, so I find it interesting he's going back to MP. I don't know if it's something to suit him or if it's a financial decision or what, but he did. it just wasn't his year this year for whatever reason. And that Sochi error, which completely lost him an entire weekend's worth of running on this, the warm-up lap or the, the formation lap spinning out, yeah, that was <laughs> that'd have been a long old weekend for him uh, under the thunderstorm uh, to do no actual racing. So I hope for him better from next year because I do think he's a really talented driver and the Brazilian fan base will look absolutely nuts if he is in a championship fight, which would be great because it's so passionate. Um, but this year just didn't happen for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and one word answers on this one. Who's going to win the title for next season, Alex? Uh doing in a virtuosi harry doing jim oh come on you can't you've <laughs> got to give a different answer <laughs> hey, surely hang on, hang on hang on a minute what, what, there are only seven drivers confirmed so far next Just year big, me i don't know <laughs> right, no, fine. no no fine i'll take it back i'll take it back i'll say if, if he's in a prime at the ruvula Ooh, big shout uh Porsche. And I'll make it four different answers and they Hauger in a Prima as well. Mm. <laughs> okay, that's all we have time for today. My thanks to Alex, to Harry, to Jim for joining us on today's show. And a special thank you to all of the team at Inside F2 for all of their hard work this season. It's been really, really fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, my thanks to you guys at home as well for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you hit the like button as always. If you're new around here, make sure you subscribe to the channel. We're going to have loads of content coming your way over the winter, uh, including quiz shows, driver interviews and much more. But from me, Fraser Ford and all of us here at Inside F2, we'll see you in 2022.